Greetings and salutations. This is the second session that I did on Christ in the Old Testament, expanding on some of the ideas that I touched on in the previous one and um, covering some different topics. So if you haven't heard the, the previous one, please go check it out first, uh, or uh, this one should be independent enough that you can uh, listen to it and then uh, please go back and listen to the other one. It's a fantastic uh, presentation as well. So with that, let's, uh, let's get into the presentation. All right, we're gonna be moving through, trying to move at a good pace, because once again, we got a lot to cover. So, we start off in Hebrews uh, 12. Oh, this is a different Bible than yesterday. <laughs> Hebrews 12, verses one through three. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So, we have here in the Old Testament... Right, and, and in chapter 11, a great cloud of witnesses who by faith believed the promise, despite being sinners all the time, they were righteous by faith. Um, Paul goes into this in great detail in the book of Romans um, about Abraham and, and where his faith came from. This is uh, chapter, I believe Romans chapter 4, uh, and then Romans chapter 5 is awesome um, but we also have within this you know with these people of faith we also have points of turmoil right so right here we have the exile here we have the division of the kingdoms and we've got Saul here we've got the judges right like this whole thing is the judges and it's just all turmoil right here before the turmoil we've got um, slavery in Egypt, and then after they get out of Egypt, they have 40 years in the desert. So they were slaves in Egypt. That's probably a bigger circle then. That's a lot of turmoil. Um, from, from Noah to Abraham, we don't know terribly much. We don't have a lot of issues here, but then before Noah, right, from basically from Adam to Noah, we have some very explicit turmoil. Oh, well, after Noah, we have Babel, so that's a pretty big one. Um, there are constantly people on earth who are trying to stop this. Who are trying to stop Jesus from coming and fulfilling the promise. And that is why this, this line is, is critical. Uh, and it's why it's, it's, it's honestly why it's the first thing that Matthew brings out in his, in his gospel is this is the history of this guy, where he came from. <coughs> who is he? Um, and, and why should you care? Um, so he starts off with this, and, and the author of Hebrews points out that these are the, these are the people who, who had faith to overcome all everything else that comes by, despite their, their sins, and that they are there to focus us on Jesus. Um, so, yesterday, our, our 
the ones we actually spent a lot of time on are Elijah, right? Bit of an interesting figure, but worker of great signs and wonders and preaching to the people to come to repentance because they had given, they had abandoned God. David, the great king who was given a specific promise by God that his, his throne would endure forever and was of the bloodline of Christ who despite being a decent king also had some at least one incredibly major um, breaking of multiple commandments on his record and yet when God told him that he had sinned he confessed and repented Um, and then uh, these two women here Ruth and Rahab who were both foreign women outside of the Jewish people who married into the line of Christ because they believed that God was the Lord. Uh, They heard the word (coughs) and believed it. Uh, Unlike those who would then listen to Elijah and Elisha who heard the word of God and continued in their idolatry, these northern kingdoms, only to be destroyed. Right. So, so these are these women are, are faithful, and these people are not, um, because when they because when God comes to them, they believe. So, I'm now going to touch on a slight nuance for this upper line that we've got right this you know promise line or so called, because um, there's there's a there's three ways that I that I'm going to touch on um, Christ being in the Old Testament. Right, the first one we got is the bloodline, which is this one, right? It is Adam to Noah to Abraham, Judah, um, through Rahab and Ruth to King David, and down the line through the exile, preserved by a few. That's God's way of making sure that His promise will continue. And there's a great record of histories as a part of that and it's um, it's something that Matthew I think is very good in in mentioning and something that the, the Jewish people did you know we have these long genealogies of their of their people and that's important and, and very helpful for us because we can now do this right? we can say okay there was a list of people and then we have promise and prophecy so Right here, prophecy, um, not just Elijah and Elisha, right? Elijah being the great prophet because of, actually, does anybody know why? I mean, we covered it. Does anybody remember why is Elisha the great prophet? He did have, there was, Elisha did have the double portion of the spirit, but part of what made that matter was he worked signs. And that's the distinction really between him and a lot of the other ones. Um, not that nobody else worked signs, but Elijah and Elisha, through his spirit, performed mighty works. Um, these two gentlemen here, Elijah, Elisha, right? Um, but the spirit of Elijah and Moses are the two pillars of the work, like the miraculous works of God 
for his people. Um, here you have with healings, with you know, fire coming down from heaven, with um, you know the. Uh, I mean, Elijah is taken up in a in a chariot of fire into heaven. Darn fantastical. And then Moses, we have you know, the staff becoming a serpent. We've got the plagues in Egypt. We've got the crossing of the Red Sea. We've got um, the rock at Horeb. We've got the other rock that he was supposed to talk to and he didn't talk to. Um, mighty works and signs that we're not we're not seeing really anywhere else. So if you are, if you're a Jew in the first century A.D. What's up? It would, it would, I would say it wouldn't count as necessarily miraculous works of God, but more um, God establishing how he interacts with his people, which is through words. Um, although their creation was miraculous, you know, because God wrote them with his finger, right? Which I think is kind of weird, because God doesn't have a finger. But God also happens to be a carpenter, um, which is a fantastic thought carpenter dying on a cross that uh, so where was it? if you're a first century Jew and you're looking for the promise you're you're going to be expecting something like this you want at least something like this I mean you're hoping because then you really know all right God's with us we're gonna be doing something right I don't know why you would frankly because the only time he does this is when the people need when the people are awfully wrong I mean, here we have we talk about you know, the divided kingdom with Moses, right? What's the context Moses comes into? Where are the people of Egypt? Or of Israel? Exile. Exile in Egypt, right. And what is the first thing they do when they get out of Egypt? Complain. Hmm? Complain. About the way they treat. Not being in Egypt, right? Oh, man, it was so good when we were back there. Man, I liked that. It was, it was cool. No, you didn't. And it wasn't good. And that's not your land anyway. This is your land because of this place where I'm sending my son to die for the world. So get back there, right? That's that's your spot. Go home. But the people at the time of Jesus were expecting Jesus to come from the line of David. Yes. So it's not, it was both the promise and the bloodline. Right. Uh, and they had to intersect somewhere. And... It had to happen here too, right? It, it had to happen in Jerusalem, right? This is my rough picture of Israel. It's very rough. And then this right here, this little green dot with a crown on it, is Jerusalem. Um, it had to happen there. So that's one of the things that it's one of the reasons I think it's important that the Romans came and utterly destroyed the temple, because there will never be again that that part of God's plan because it's not needed anymore. And when when God didn't need it, he didn't protect it anymore. He didn't keep the remnant, which he had kept through all of these other issues. Finally, we had the thing they were all pointing to, and God said, all right, you're done. F you, figure, I, sent, I sent my son, right? In, in many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
That's also the book of Hebrews. Fantastic book. Um, really, really fantastic book. Um, so, but if you're, but if you're first century Jew, right, why would you want somebody like this? Because if, if God's sending somebody like this, it's probably because you're in the wrong and you need somebody with, with great signs and miracles to show you that God's saying you're wrong, fix it, you know, turn away, repent. So you don't want one of these guys to show up, and he does, and, and not just anybody, right? But the one these are pointing forward to, the shadow that these are, is is cast from from Christ, um, and such that such that he does more miraculous signs than Elijah, right? And Elisha, right? When when the the widow's son comes to him, and he's been dead for three days, and they're walking him out of the city to bury him, he goes up and he says, you know, all right, get up. And the kid gets up, right? And this isn't like, oh, he just died. It's, he's been dead. You haven't even known the, the guy. You haven't even known this person. And he calls him to life, right? A much more miraculous thing, which is still even Jesus pointing forward to, hey, I'm going to do it myself. Right? And then he does, which no one can do. No one can, raise the, can rise from the dead just because, right? He raises Lazarus from the dead, too. Right? So he, not only does he do it once, he does it at least tw- three times, right? Because he also does it with Jairus' daughter. So isn't that, uh, he did that through Peter, right? Which one? Which was the one that Peter raised? Um, is there one in Acts? There, there may be one in Acts. Um, if you can find it, let me know. Um, where's your, I'm going to keep moving. <coughs> so, um, so, so Elisha then, or Elijah and Elijah, Elisha, is the great prophet because not only does he speak words from God to the people, but he also does signs and wonders to show that God is the one doing the, the the preaching here. Which is the who's the who's the prophet that we hear probably the most from though, especially during Christmas and Lent. Isaiah. Isaiah. We love Isaiah. Because Isaiah is the, what, he's the fifth gospel. He's over here, and he tells us, you know, born of a virgin, right? The Messiah will come from a virgin, um, and they will call his name Emmanuel. Uh, and then we get that fantastic passion narrative, right, where where he, he, he hits on all these different points. Um, and as a sheep before his shearer was silent, so he opened not his mouth. Just, just could have, could have been there. You would think, and 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 yet, and this is an interesting thing. Um, I heard from a from a pastor one time. The prophet Isaiah has all of the vague details, and he provides a fantastic prophecy, pointing forward to Christ and His suffering. And when we confess the Apostles' Creed, right, was born of the Virgin Mary. He didn't know her name. He didn't know the, the, the virgin's name. Um, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Right? So that's the historical point that Isaiah was looking forward to. And he never knew. So every, every single day, really, I mean, according to Luther at least, but we, we have that, that creed where we say with regularity the things that he longed to see, the, the mysteries of God that he longed to to know and he prophesied um, 
as as he was shown it. But while he saw in in shadow, now we see we see clearly in Christ. It's really a a, a fantastic blessing to think about that this great prophet could sit at the feet of you know some kid who says the the creed and learn so much that he wants to learn uh, and we have that we have that regularly taught um, so we have a whole book of prophecies here a whole list of prophecies we're not actually going to go into them because there's too many um, the amount of Jesus that's back here though let me tell you is is there's a lot of it, and it's it's part of the reason that these, this kind of thing is, is a little difficult to do. Um, right? So we've got the book of Isaiah. He is preaching to these guys. And these guys, I think, as well. He's really preaching to everybody. But he is there to preach repentance, right? We've got the divided kingdom, and he's trying to tell them, hey, turn back to God. And we get these these magnificent prophecies throughout the space, um, where he talks about things like Babylon and um, the restoration of of the people from from their uh, from their exile, uh, the salvation of God. The, um, the the sufferings of Christ as we went over. Uh, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He has grown up before him like a tender branch and like a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And um, when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was bruised for our transgressions, or he was uh, pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Um, he was taken by a... Um, oh, I don't know the, I remember that one. By oppression in general he was taken. And um, who has declared his generations? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Although he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it, uh, yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has brought him to grief. Um, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Right? Uh, this is the Good Friday text, right? He was... <laughs> Yet he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. The pretty fantastic prophecy there alone, right? Um, but just this whole thing is pointing to well, what's actually going on here as well. 
this is the Lord's work. Therefore I will give him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life to death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is, this is prophecy uh, without necessarily signs and wonders done to the level of Elijah. Right? There are prophecies that, Eli- that Isaiah makes that will come true in his own lifetime before the people he saw him do. Because, if not, how, how could they test him? How could they know he was from, from God? What up? Uh, undefeated thing. Which, or, where is it? Acts 9, is, uh, he raised Tabitha. Yes. So, so those who were given the special call of, of, of from Christ. That was Saul and Elias, too, right? Mm-hmm. Saul and Elias. They Saul and Elias, yes, who falls out of the window. Um, so, so we have a couple moments of this on the other side as well, right? Um, pointing, and what do they do though? Do they use it to say, oh hey, by the way, God isn't done, or do they say, oh yeah, God did it, right? It's the, the, the works of the apostles are that, that beautiful reflection of God doing work, uh, miraculous works, to point back to Christ, right? The people we see as done. Yes, but what do they do when they say? What do they say? They reflect it back to God. They reflect it back to Jesus and his work on the cross. And within two generations, they're gone. The The miracles are gone. So should we be looking for miracles now? Or when Paul says, whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there are cross, um, miraculous works of healing, that, you know, these are going to stop, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I mean... The sacraments are different. The sacraments are different. So we'll, we'll leave the... But because they're the direct work of God and he's allowed to break creation however he wants to. But that's not... Um, I mean, I guess it is, it is technically a miracle. But it's... Uh, it's not quite this... I mean, it's probably a little different because it's so much better than these other miracles. Um, because it's not just providing the word of God it's t- and, and even tying it to a physical thing, but it's through that very word and um, physical thing providing salvation itself. Whereas these were simply pointing forward to, to Jesus. Uh, and the faith, and the faith that the, that of the people who believe these miracles did justify them. Right? But we have the body and blood and, and water. I mean, just awesome stuff. So, technically, yes, there are still, mir- still miracles, but only in the, the work of God. And only in the places where he said, hey, these things are going to keep going. Right? Got to keep them. Um, so there's a lot of good Isaiah stuff here. Uh, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of hard things, honestly, to, to figure out because there's a lot of historical context. Um, Jeremiah is the same way. Although Jeremiah is pretty, pretty depressing if you get through it because... He's, he's speaking a lot of condemnation to people, right? We have some, some, some bad things going on, and he's trying to tell them, hey, it's coming. Now, God's going God's gonna to be with you, but the end is coming. Bad things are coming. Um, God will restore you, but you got to cut it out. <laughs> God is going to cut you off. 
um, or, or lead you into exile. And don't trust in the might of your own hands. Trust in the Lord. And they don't. And they end up being destroyed. We get Lamentations, which is fantastic reading for, for any time of the year, but particularly Lent. Right. We get some um, other prophets. I'm not going to go into these too much. Um, but there is some, some, some great words in here. I do want to touch really quickly on Jonah as, as, a, as a prophet, right? Who is Jonah sent to prophesy to? The Ninevites. The Ninevites. Who were, who were they? What nation? Nineveh. Well, yes. Technically, yes. This was one of the great city of the Assyrian people. Uh, cities. And if you remember from, from yesterday, the Assyrians are the greatest and most unbeatably ruthless conquerors the world has ever seen, and the only reason they were stopped was because it was the will of God. Um, they would come in to your land, and they did this with the, the, the ten tribes, of the, or the ten northern tribes, came in, take you, they'd take you back to their place, and then they'd spread you out to, to every corner of their kingdom, and, and intermarry you with the people who were already there. So your culture would die, in like instantly. You couldn't build communities. You couldn't, um, you know, FaceTime your your cousins or anything. You know, there was there was no way of communicating with your with your people and no way of preserving your culture because they would also have the ability to weed you out and eliminate it and kill you if if you kept if you tried to maintain it. Um, so. Nineveh is, is one of these cities that was said to be so great that it would take, uh, what is it, is it in here? It would take three days, yeah, verse uh, Jonah 3. Now, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city, a city required, a visit required, oh, visit required. Literally, it's more or less that to get across, it took three days to get across this city. Um, and this is very pious speculation that it's not actually that big. It's entirely possible the city of, city of Nineveh was so great and populous that you couldn't get across it in a single day of, of traversing. Right? Also possible because um, ancient cities may not have followed Roman city um, design, which is very linear and structured. So it's possible that the city of Nineveh just kind of grew up, and so the streets were not very organized. That's... Um, a little bit of speculation, but but you know what we think of cities now is very Roman, and that was a, a unique idea that came from their military exploits. So this great city of the Assyria of these awful people, God says to one of His own people, a Jew, "Hey, go up there and, and preach to them." And why does he why does he he not do it? All right. He's, what is he afraid of, ultimately? I mean, he is afraid of the people, but what is he? What is he? What is he more afraid of? Actually, it's the opposite. Um, he didn't think that they deserved it. He didn't want to succeed. He wanted them to die in their sins. Um. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? 
That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Um, Jonah did not want God to be merciful to the Assyrians because they were his enemy. He did not want to think that God could show mercy to those who were at odds with him, and, and, and especially at odds with Jonah, right? Because he didn't like them. And because they, they weren't his friends, he wasn't going to preach. And that's why he runs away and gets, um, he has to spend some time in the, in the belly of the whale, in the belly of the fish, not the belly of the whale. Whales are a different story. Um, but he, he then spends how long in the whale? Three days. And uh, there is a there's a point that Jesus himself brings out there, right? For for he is like that's this is this is the third type of thing that we're gonna get to type and shadow. Um, but in terms of right, so is this this story really is type and shadow. It's not exactly prophecy, but it's kind of hidden here in the middle of prophecy um, because it's about a prophet. So um, this is this is this epitomizes right this bit that Jonah understands epitomizes that he understands what a prophet's job is, and all the prophecy that we have is 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 this plus pointing to Jesus. It is God being a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. Um, and Jonah knew. Unlike these people who, when they heard the word of God, tried to kill the one who, who said it, the Assyrians, these awful barbarians who were heathens, knew enough about the Hebrew God to know that when a Hebrew entered their, their town, entered their great city, right? This, this one guy comes in saying, God's going to destroy you. And, um, and very specifically, he proclaimed, 40 more days and then it will be overturned. And then they believe this guy. I mean, why? They're the greatest, they're, they're the greatest nation on earth in history. They are the, they are the pinnacle of civilization. The, 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 the world superpower. And some guy comes into their city and he's like, it's going to be overturned in 40 days. And because of the fear that they have of, of, of the God of these people, they repent. A foreign, right? A foreign power believing and hearing the words. When his own people, when God's own chosen people who had seen so much mighty, mighty work done in their midst, wouldn't. Um, it, is, it is a humbling reality that we have to look at of what is it? The what are we? What are we focused on, right? Because, I mean, we're the church. We got to be right. We know what we're doing. We 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 worship God totally. Um, 
this was this was part of what the, the what was crazy about when Jesus you know came and sent his disciples to all the nations. It wasn't just the Jews anymore. And and many of the Jews were, were in fact very hostile to it. Um, and it was in the it was in the nations that the that the church found found significant growth among the Gentiles. Yeah. Uh, was it Nineveh, isn't that kind of like the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? It would have been. Except Sodom and Gomorrah didn't. They didn't repent? Who is the prophet there? Um, well, technically there, there was no prophet at that point. Lot was more... Like, Lot should have been. Um, to, a certain, like, to a certain extent, he should have been the one to go down there and be speaking about God, the God of Abraham. Um, but he didn't. And so it was destroyed. I mean, to a certain extent, you also have the the people like the 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 two men who go down there from from or the people who go with, from God, right? angels or who are they? We don't know. But uh, Sodom and Gomorrah were at that point they didn't they didn't get a lot of chance because they already had a bit of it. I mean, they had gone to war with Abraham. They should have known. They should have known better. Um, they were exceedingly evil. I mean, this is. It's something we covered last uh, last period, not not Sodom anymore, but um, there are times, right, like the invasion of Canaan, where where in order to make sure that the bloodline has has a place, has a culture where it can live on, at least a little bit, God has to wipe somebody out. So that's why he got rid of that is why he got rid of the Canaanites. That's why he got rid of Sodom and Gomorrah, or that's why he commanded them to get rid of the Canaanites, and they didn't until. Um, was what? The Assyrians? They're, yeah, they're a little different. Mostly... He had to kill them off because of the end of the bloodline. Yes. Um, it, they, he does end up having Babylon, right? So the Assyrian Empire crumbles eventually. And from one of their remnants, Babylon arises. But Babylon is not quite so cruel. They're a little bit more, hey, we're going to take you in and nurture you um, to try and you know make our kingdom greater. And then from them you get Persia, right? So you, you have the Assyrian, like the might of the Assyrian Empire breaks down to Babylon. And we think of Babylon as this great, you know, fantastic thing. But they were they were the shadow of the Assyrian Empire. And then from there, Persia comes up as the... Um, Persia was great too, wasn't it? Persia was fantastic. Persia was the, um, the silver, um, silver breastplate of this of the image in, in the book of Daniel. Who we're going to next, right? Yes? What do you mean by type and shadow? Type and shadow, all right, then probably as, bad as, uh, as good a time as any. Um, so we're covering prophecy and promises as well, right? What is, what is God saying he's gonna do to uh, David, right? I will keep your, right? I will, your throne will endure forever, all right? Your, one of your bloodline will sit on the throne forever. Um, to Abraham, right? I will I will make you a great nation, and from you all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Um, Adam, right? This is the big one. That's this is all. These are all the promises, right? These these guys, you know, they, they receive very very specific promises. Type and shadow. Um, the the way. Th uh, think of it this way. With Jonah, 
Jonah, we have a, a man in the belly of the whale for three days, and then he is spat out. And um, that's somewhere in here, a little, little fish person. Jesus takes this as um, as a like a typological foreshadowing. So it's not it's not a verbal prophecy. It's a it's a type of prophet. It's a it's a more of like an event prophecy. So a thing happens, and you look at it, and it's pointing to Jesus. So Jonah in the well belly of the whale for three days, Jesus rising on the third day, right? Um, Abraham, right? We talked about them yesterday with Isaac, right? What, when he goes to sacrifice Isaac, what, what is there? A ram caught by its horns in a... Th caught with its head in a bramble of thorns who is then offered as the sacrifice for Isaac, right? On this mountain. So you have, on a mountain, you have a sacrifice where a, a lamb, and I'm you know, terrible at this, but a, ram, a lamb whose head is in thorns, I mean, that's terrible, but, you know, is killed for the sake of Isaac, Isaac right. So, symbolizes the Lamb of God. Right, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who, wore a crown of thorns. on yeah, was was crowned with a crown of thorns and died on the mountain. Right, as the sacrifice for sin, as the perfect sacrifice. Um, that's 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 what that's what type and shadow is. Is it's it's God's way in the Old Testament of pointing His people forward with a. Tempo temporary event that is incomplete in its um, in its salvific effect, right? So it doesn't it it's not enough. This is the entire thing with Moses, and this is what part of why I wanted to bring it up. Um, the type of things that God gives to the people through Moses are type and like heavy type and shadow, and this is what you get in the book of Leviticus. Um, you get. Let's just let's just do it the totally wrong way and open up to a random point in the book. Um, is this normally what we would call foreshadowing? I mean, or is that somewhat? Not quite yeah. Um, the, the reason there's a distinction, the, I would say the distinction between this phrase and foreshadowing is <laughs> when you have, I mean, foreshadowing it does kind of point forward to something that's, that's of greater effect. I would um, describe that saying it's type and shadow is because um, rather than being something that's there primarily to point forward, it is almost, it is more accurate to say that it is this event which was established in history right here, right? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
when God says that, this is established in time. And everything that comes before that is like the, it's the ripple forwards in time of that event, of God showing pieces of what he's doing here. Um, so it's kind of foreshadowing, but it's also kind of like this reality that God can do whatever he wants with time. And, and what he chose to do is give pictures of what he was going to do here throughout the Old Testament. So it's kind of like a way of keeping the promise up front when everybody's... Yes. So the, uh, to point to, like, how is this going to look? What's it going to look like when he shows up? What kind of things is he going to do, right? I'm going to turn to you. So, so we have our, our um, passage. I'm just going to come through here. We've got our passage in Hebrews, right? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, right? That's talking about the faith of the Old Testament people. If we want to look at the other thing about the Old Testament, right? Why don't we look at what Jesus says about the Old Testament, right? Road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Um, what happens here? Now, this is, this is Easter morning. On that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, or on verse 13, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him, and he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only person in Jerusalem, and do you not know these things? that have happened are um, you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days what things he asked about Jesus of Nazareth he was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people the chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel and what's more it's the third day since this all took place in addition some of our women amazed us they went to the tomb early this morning but they did not find his body they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Right? They're saying they're telling him what happened on Easter morning, and they're saying, Man, we thought he was going to fulfill all these promises. And then he went and died. And now on the third day, somebody said he rose again. So what does he say? He said to them, How foolish you are, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Right? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, right? What does this mean, Moses and the prophets? Does that mean he started the, uh, his history at Moses? No. It's when the birth of his children, right? Uh, beginning with Moses and all the prophets means starting with Genesis. The uh, Old Testament, when he says Moses, or, or, oh, or, or the law, it's, yeah. It's more than just the Ten Commandments. Right. Um, it, is, it is like the, the first five books of the Bible, which were written by Moses. So beginning with the beginning, and including all of the prophets, right? I mean, Jesus, in this, in this little journey, gives them, the, like, the best... View of Christ in the Old Testament that anyone ever got. 
And they don't know who he is. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus is saying, there's a lot of stuff in here that's pointing to him and the work he must do to suffer and, and die and rise again and ascend to the right hand of God. Um, and when he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Right. Um, boy, didn't we think he was a smart Alec. Right. Didn't we think he, he thought, he sure thought he knew what he was doing and, and he, he must have he just been really cocky well, on the road and now, oh, wait a second. Whoa. <laughs> um, I mean, you have a couple things. One, they recognize him. It's like, wait a second, this is Jesus through the breaking of the bread, right? We could go through this whole thing about bread and wine in the Old Testament, like God eating with his people. We could do a whole thing on bread in the Old Testament because God and bread is really important, you know? And this would kind of go into a different part of Hebrews, which is Melchizedek, which, interestingly enough, when, when in Hebrews it says, you know, Let's, let's put aside the elementary doctrines, right? Let's move on from the milk to the meat. The first thing he talks about when he talks about the meat, like the doctrines that are meat, is Melchizedek, who as a word, how many of you don't know what Mel who Melchizedek is? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fun thing to say. I'd love to have a kid named Melchizedek, you know, just to see how they try and pronounce it. Um, but this is the first thing. This is what the author of Hebrews says is like the, the meat of doctrine is you go back to the Old Testament and you find God eating with his people. Um, you find the king of, pe of, of peace, king, or the king of Salem, right, king of peace, coming to eat with Abraham a meal of bread and wine. Here. And pointing forward here. right, And that this priest of, priest of God most high, Melchizedek, is not a priest of the Levitical order because that was here. It was before that. So then here, when this order is taken away, we are priests according to the order of Melchizedek. Or he is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He was of the line of Judah, not of Levi. A lot of stuff there. Uh, we, we don't have time. So the, there's, there's, this, there's this realization that they say, wait a second, he's alive. And then the second one is, he vanishes. How does he do that? Glorified. And then... While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Right? Verse 36. So, so you go from, like, he's there on the road, and then they, they take a seven-mile run back to Jerusalem, to the, to the upper room, where they are afraid, right? We know, we know this from the other accounts, right? To the locked room where they have shut themselves in, locked the doors because they're still afraid. <coughs> and then Jesus shows up and says, Peace be with you. Um... This is, I mean, this is what Jesus says about the Old Testament, and this is what all these points of type and shadow are pointing forward to. Um, it is that he he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, and it's these it's these three ish things, right? The the people in the Old Testament who you know 
we're pointing forward to him. The promises and prophecy that comes to the people and the moments, right? And here we have our, our little lamb. Probably put our, our lamb on our, on our offering, right? Because that's one we talked about. I mean, the book is just chock full of them, right? Here, Moses, right? Here's another type and shadow, right? So the prophecy is, you know, God's going to dwell with his people, right? He comes to Sinai in the cloud, descending on the mountain. And he talks to, to uh, Moses first. How, how does he talk to Moses first? Burning bush. Burning bush, right? Which is a miracle, right? Show, God shows up in a burning bush and, t and says, you know, I am who I am, right? Which Jesus then goes on to say, right? I am. He's claiming that authority. He's claiming he's the same guy. Um, but then they come out of Egypt and God institutes a, a st structure through which he will dwell with his people from here to really like here. And that is the Ark of the Covenant, right? Which then uh, appears over here-ish um, with Indiana Jones. <laughs> where he discovers it and, and melts the Nazis' faces. Right. right. Um, what does Ark mean? What is an Ark? Like a container. It's a box. I mean, we don't have a box in here that I can see, you know? Yeah, the Ark of the Tissues. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a perfectly valid way of saying it. An ark of tissues, right? In in Noah, right? What Noah, God tells Noah build a box, and make it waterproof. You know, I like we do have this this good image of the box floating on top of the water. I like to think that probably there were a couple of waves in there that submerged the thing, because um, God shut the box. God sh he makes a box and God shuts it up and he become you know, becomes a submarine at some point, right? Because God's pulling it through the waves. Um, Peter says that's about baptism, actually. Peter says that the entire thing about here of being um, washed is about baptism. So what is this box of the covenant, right? Well, this ark was, was built to protect what's inside, right? You build a box to put something into it. You don't just build a box. Maybe now we do because we're weird and we're, <laughs> we're, we, we're weird people. But... Uh, but you build a box to put something into it. So what is Noah? What is God put into Noah's ark? Okay. Noah's ark, right? Animals. Animals, Animals and, and man. people. The bloodline um, through Noah and Shem and Shem's wife, who was important. Um, we don't know if he has kids at the time. He doesn't mention his kids, so maybe he doesn't have kids. But he's about three hundred years old when he enters the ark, which is pretty old for not having kids. Um, although it's possible that his, his children were not faithful. It's possible that Shem, Ham, and Japheth themselves are not because we all we know is that Noah found f uh, favor in the sight of God. We don't know about his sons. All we know is when he said, hey, we're going onto the ark, they heard those words. Um, and then immediately afterwards we see um, some interesting relationships between Japheth and Shem versus Ham. 
Um, story for another time. More Titan Shadow. Um, but then what do we put in the Ark of the Covenant, right? First of all, what's a covenant? Um, it's an agreement. It's a contract. Yeah. It's, it's actually not a promise. A, pro a promise is something like this, where God just says, all right, I'm doing this. Now, now there are a couple of promises that come in the form of one-sided covenants, mm -hmm. right? This, this one to Abraham, right? Um, anybody know how, how God makes his covenant with Abraham? That's the one who puts him to sleep. And yeah. yeah. So the way, you, the way you did a covenant in the old world was you killed a bunch of animals, and you cut them in half, and you put the halves on either side, and both people would go through, because right, you don't have lawyers and legal documents to keep track of it. So you kill the animals, and you walk through the midst of the animals together. And that is your bind, right? That is, the blood of these animals is binding your word to one another. That's your contract, because it happened. Um, and that is, so that was the way, that was the way that you, you did legal things. That was the way that you said, hey, I'm sticking to this. Um, what God does with Abraham is he has Abraham lay everything out, and then he puts him to sleep, and he does it himself. Meaning, I don't care what you do. I don't care if, because I know what happens with Moses. I know what happens with Saul. I know what happens with these people and these people that they have to go into exile. I know your, your descendants are not going to keep this covenant. Your descendants no, are going to suck. But I will stay faithful to my promises to, to send one of your seed to die for the sins of the world. Right? It's a bit of type and shadow, honestly. God is saving mankind by himself, uh, by no work of their own. Abraham doesn't do anything to earn this covenant. Abraham doesn't say, all right, God, you've said you'll keep your side of the bargain, and so I will keep my side of the bargain. He doesn't, because God literally just stops him from doing it. Um, there's a great comfort in that, that, you know, when, when, if we would think that we could take it upon ourselves to, you know, bring about the work, God's like, okay, look, just, just stay out of the way. Stay, stay in your lane. This is my job, to save you. Um, do not worry. Don't fear. Um, so that was, that's, that's the covenant, and, and, so now we have a box of a covenant. Is it the same covenant? Right? That's the covenant to Abraham. This covenant stays true even to this day. Right? This covenant that God made with Abraham stays true even to this day. It was fulfilled here, but he's continuing to, to bless all nations because of the prophet, because of the church. Right? But what is what about this covenant? Right? What's what's different about this one? The Ark of the Covenant. Well, you had the, the priests were the ones that could access that. Right. The people could not. And only only in special occasions. Right. I mean, you just don't go there. You don't you don't go into the Ark of the Covenant. You don't touch it. Right. If you if you take it upon yourself to reach out and touch the Ark of the Covenant as it is falling, God strikes you down. Because it's not your job. Right. So, some 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 memories of this. Right. So there's a priesthood which is not of the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to put Melchizedek here because he's just cool. Because um, it's also some fantastic type and shadow. 
I don't know how many of you know that symbol, but it's the it's the, the intended to be like the chalice and the and the and the host. Um, I can see it now. Okay, yeah. <laughs> now I explained it. Um, so you know, it's a different priesthood. It's a special priesthood on Mount Sinai, right? God takes one of of the son one of the houses of Israel, the Levites, and says, "You are priests." in the order of Aaron, right? A different order with a different covenant, a different promise. This is where the issue with the book, uh, like the Levitical codes comes into question, right? Do we have, are we allowed to eat shellfish? Yep. Why? Because it's not binding on us anymore. Right. Um, God had a special way of dwelling with his people, right? Because not only did he make a box, right? And he said, I'm putting in this box the covenant, right? What was in the what was in the Ark of the Covenant? Now Joseph was buried in Israel. No, I don't think so. I hope not. Um, that would not quite work. The um, the rod of Aaron was in there, right? At Mount Sinai, one of the signs that God uses to show that Aaron is his is his priest, is he takes his staff and he makes it blossom. Which doesn't make any sense at all. I have a staff, right? It's yay tall. It used to be a tree, fell over, I picked it up, and I varnished it. I love it. It's not blossoming, though. If that thing blossomed, I would would be incredibly worried, and I'd probably take it to, like, get looked at, or I'd split the thing open and wonder what's going on inside. Right? That doesn't make any sense. So so God makes a, a stick bear fruit. They put that in the box. To remind them of what? This this covenant here at Sinai, where they put the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. They call it the tabernacle, but what does the word tabernacle mean? It kind of means tent, but it means, more accurately, dwelling. Right? And when the people are dwelling in tents, God's in a tent. So they put the box of God's promise to them, this, this particular promise, right, which was, um, if you keep these words, you will have the land and you will be blessed. But if you, if you disobey my commandments, you're going you're gonna to bring everything that comes upon you on yourselves. Right? It's a conditional promise here, pointing forward to the ultimate fulfillment that God does where, where he doesn't do it conditionally. So you're saying in the Ark is the Ten Commandments and, and it's the stone tablets. Yep. So the covenant itself, is that also written on stone? It's written on... I don't know, and I don't think they probably did stone, but the rest of the covenant is, it is written. right about here. It's the, the Book of Moses. The Books of Moses... Um, and then it becomes uh, added, I mean, the additional parts of it that the Jews look at are, um, you know, the further writings of the prophets. So the covenant, but the specific covenant is the, the, what's in Exodus, the Levitical codes, uh, num- uh, most, more importantly, the Levitical codes, and um, some bit of numbers in Deuteronomy, you know, where it's repeated. Right, right. With an incredible focus on Sinai. Right. Now there is there is some of that that is back here, right? These other promises that God made. But the focus of the Ark of the Covenant is the promise God gave to the children of Israel 
that to you know, which was, if you obey my commandments, I will I will give you the land and you will prosper. If you don't, you have everything co else coming to you. What's up? Um, I was trying to figure out. I, I said bones. They just carried the bones, right? Yes, they carried the bones. Right. Uh, it was separately. Um, the other one. Did we also go over the pot of manna? Right. They did have. They did have manna. Right. Another bread connection. Right. The bread from heaven, which came down and fed the people through their wanderings in the wilderness. Right. So forty years. So the gener is enough time for the first generation in Egypt to die off in the wilderness. Right. Everybody who's complaining dies in the in that forty years. Um, so. It is the bread from heaven which fed us, fed them from, from life until death, until they should enter the promised land. So That's what manna is. They had to wait for that entire generation to die off. Right. Imagine being born right after the Red Sea. That would suck. But you are then fed with, right? You get the greatest food ever. The greatest with the great bread. You get to be in the tent of God's people with whom he is dwelling. And who with who and who he is taking to be in the land he has promised to them, right? This is more, right? So the forty years in the wilderness. Part of the um, part of what happens there is a type and shadow. This is a type and shadow, right? It happened, yes. It happened before Jesus, yes. But the actual thing that this is reflecting backwards is that Jesus spent forty years in the, in the de forty days in the desert. And he fasted, and then he was tempted by Satan. You know, it's like that is the real thing, and this is the the dream in in in, in, in sorts, right? It, obviously, it happened, but that's like the concept of type and shadow is that this is the firm, clear, beautiful, awesome, dreadful reality, and God is tr is giving confidence to his Old Testament people by showing them what it's going to look like. By showing them what that 40 days is like in the wilderness. What our uh, great tribulation is right now. Even though that we've been set free from sin taken through, right? Okay, so now we have, another, we have another type in shadow. Well, you should probably get a bigger staff. Right? Charlton Heston. Uh, terrible artist. Right? So, God takes his people out of captivity in Egypt through the waters so that he can dwell with them and they can um, worship him and he can serve them. Until that day, when they are taken into the promised land according to his promise. It happened in history with the children of Israel. It happened because Jesus happened. Because he has taken us out of our captivity with sin, death, and the devil through the waters of baptism into the great tribulation, right? Which is this life. Even though we've been taken and, and cleaned it's still we are sinners in a sinful world, walking through this this great wasteland. Um, nourished 
with the bread which comes from heaven. Right? <coughs> Type and shadow. So, Christ fulfilling all of these prophecies mm -hmm. is his proof that he is the promised one. It is, it is, yeah. I mean, ultimately his, his, his evidence is he rose from the dead. But it is... Proof for us. Right. And, and proof for the people there. That was, hey, this is it. You know, imagine being on that. I mean, we get that court, you know, that I love that road to advance because it, you, you heard these, you knew these, right? We talked about this yesterday. You're here and looking backwards at, a, you know, the great Elijah and the works that he did, you know, raising people from the dead. Suddenly you see Jesus raising people from the dead too. Maybe this is the guy, right? You remember from David, you know, the, the mighty works that he did. And maybe, you know, is he from that bloodline? I don't know. We could probably trace it. We could ask his mom, where, you know, their heritage, right? Um, one who, who's going around claiming, right, before Abraham, before Abraham was, right? Before Abraham was, I am. So he's simultaneously claiming to be from before Abraham and also God at Sinai. This guy's doing that. Performing great signs and wonders. Fulfilling these little things. And then he goes and dies on you. And you're like, wait a second. We were supposed to have this kingdom, this eternal kingdom, right? We thought you were going to go take over the world. Right? I'm a good German. I want to take over the world. There's a part of me that does. Um, I think I'm right. I think the world should be right. Um, but I'm not. I'm a sinner. And then he rises from the dead. To sh to 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 unveil that final piece of, of the mystery where it's it's not we're not supposed to be taking over the world. We need to trust that God will fulfill his promise. Which promise? Which promise? Well, I'll start with this one, right? In the in the desert, right? He's taking us through baptism. Saint Saint we're gonna go to Second Peter. And this is this is actually we'll, um, we'll spend some time on this one. Go ahead and go to First Peter. Um, oh, I always have a hard time finding this one, even though it's so good. Is it Second Peter? Yeah, I think it's First Peter. Ah, this is going to be terrible podcasting. Yes, oh, Second Peter three. I'm going to read this from the literal translation because so many of the modern ones just butcher it because they're written by evangelicals. And, and we love our evangelical friends, but they don't understand baptism. And they don't understand the Lord's Supper. And there's so much good baptism and Lord's Supper talk. Um, I mean, Naaman, for pity's sake, right? We talked about Naaman with Elijah. What does he do? He goes down to the river and washes. And as he washes his, his leprosy, right, the... the sickness that had come upon his flesh and was consuming him is taken away in the waters so that when he comes out he is a new man he was baptized right not not the same baptism right but the word baptized just means wash that's old testament type and shadow uh, so we're doing first peter 3 um verse 18 uh, just give me a moment because my app is acting up Come on, honey. Work with me. 
Um, it's the. It's going to sound. It might sound a little bit wooden, but there are some fantastic wooden pieces to this little passage. Where where. First Peter three, eighteen. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just. Uh, pause here. The just, for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. That's he descended into hell. That's about, that's about all we have of it, by the way. You know, when we say in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell, it, that's pretty much it. You can ask pastor to talk about it. He'll probably just say, eh, it's, it's confusing. Um, the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. All right, we're going to stop there. So God was waiting during the days of Noah for him to build a box. God, God kept patient, even though he, he knew he was going to destroy the, destroy the earth, he waited so that he could save his people. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. I'm going to stop there. Right? Because that's that's a that's a line that's important, right? In baptism, we have actual we are actually dead with Christ and alive with Him in His resurrection, right? You can't say I was saved because I was baptized. Most people, most Christians, can't won't say that, and 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 they can't look with confidence on that. Um, there is a great comfort here in the Scriptures where Peter says, "Baptism now saves you." Not as a removal of dirt from the flesh, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, who is at the right hand of God. So he's saying, baptism saves you, and it corresponds to this, right, the ark, which corresponds to this in other places, right? I mean, the other thing is they're all connected. So the, the other... The key part, the other part of that that I want to bring out is not as removal of dirt from the flesh. Um, Saint Peter uses the same word for flesh that Saint Paul uses, and and I would argue the context is the same. Flesh being sinful flesh, um, and and dirt. So the idea being not the removal of the dirt of the flesh, right? Of the of the the corruption of sin. Just because we're baptized doesn't mean we're not sinners, but we have an appeal before God, right? When the accuser stands up and says, you have sinned, which is true because we do sin. When we are sinners, much like our Old Testament brethren, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father who can stand up against the accuser. What's the, what's the word for accuser in the Bible? The Bible uses Satan, right? Lucifer is the bringer of light. Um, the devil is the devil. Satan is the accuser. Same guy, but a different. It's a title, right? When the accuser stands up and says, "You cannot be saved because you have sinned," 
and you have not been perfect, we have an appeal for a clean conscience before God because Jesus is risen from the dead. Because, right, why do we have this appeal through his resurrection? Because of baptism. Because we've been washed in the water. And that's the same thing going on right here. Right? So right here is God bringing his people through the water to, to save them and remind them that he is their God who will save them from all evil. Right? Imagine the arrogance of sitting around after going through the Red Sea and thinking, God doesn't love me. And yet, I have to do, I do that. Right? Because I, even though I've been baptized, there are, you know, I still want my, I still want the world to work out the way I want it, and I don't like it when it doesn't. So, you know, simultaneously, saint and sinner. Simultaneously, with a clean conscience before God, and in need of constant forgiveness. Just giving you a 15 minute heads up. Oh, thank you. All right. All right. Um, so we'll, t- we'll do probably about five minutes to try and close out this dive and shadow thing, uh, and then we'll leave the rest of it open. Also, so I can kind of touch on some of these other ones, right? Um, Genesis 3. We're jumping around a lot. Uh, part of the reason for that is, we didn't even touch on Daniel, but you know, we touched on Jonah. Part of the reason for that is to, is to show it's everywhere there. Oh, bless you. Um, it's everywhere in the Old Testament. It's everywhere in the scriptures. If you have the lens to look at it, the lens to view the entire scriptures is Jesus. And when you read it through the lens of Jesus, everything suddenly becomes much, much clearer and much more... The, the gospel appears where we did not see it before. Right? When, we read the, when we read the Bible, we like to look at the, the rules, right? How many of you know the, the uh, basic instructions before leaving earth? Right? Have you ever heard that about Bible, the, the word Bible? Right? It's, it's a common acronym. And how many of you read your, the instruction manuals on a daily basis? Sit down for some evening reading with the, you know, your phone's instruction manual. Nobody reads instruction manuals, and yet we, we, you know, so many people try to read the Bible as though it's, you know, it's instructions. What could be more boring instead of God's testimony of how much He loves you, even though you don't deserve it, and even though you're doing, you're fighting against Him, He will tear you out of sin and death that you have you're stuck in, right? The, the pigsty that you are dwelling in pull you out and give you um, the ring and, you know, kill the fatty calf and celebrate that he has brought you back, right? And the, the parable of the, the prodigal father, right? The father who has such great love that he doesn't do the smart thing and just say, all right, you're clearly not. He instead, you know, takes that son and, and celebrates when he's returned. Um, that's the Bible. Oh, it's so good. So, We'll do some more type and shadow. Um, what is what is Genesis three? If you could sum it up in a uh, sentence, anybody want to give it a shot? Fall of man. Hmm? The fall of man. Fall of man and oh, the promises. Yeah, which is important. Like that's honestly just as important. Law and gospel. The law we messed up. The gospel. God's gonna save us anyway. Um, 
So what happens at the end of it? Right? It does. Fantastic that, isn't it? Um, so let's look at let's look at the end, right? Because we covered the first part with some with some regularity, right? Cursed is the ground for your sake, right? We covered yesterday. Um, you know, cursed are you above all livestock. Um, but more importantly, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will bruise. He will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. Right. That's we, we covered that yesterday. Right. What is that? That is, Jesus is going to destroy you, Satan, the devil. You know, he will utterly annihilate you. Um, that is the first promise. But then, what does he do to tie to that? Right. So that is promise, <coughs> prophecy. Right attached to the bloodline of Eve. Technically Adam too, but anyone who was going to come from Eve was going to come from Adam. So where's, what's this? Right? We get kind of in like the, the turn of phrase, right? Is that what is, is that, is that type in shadow, right? He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. I'm not going to debate the literature of that, but verse uh, 20, right? Adam named his wife Eve. So what was her name before? Before the fall, what was what was Eve's name? Woman. 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 She didn't need a name. So we had dirt man and woman. <laughs> that's, that's that's what Adam means, right? The the, the man of dust. And uh, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. When he says that, for Adam you are, and to Adam you shall return. Um, so this is the dirt man names his wife Eve, which means the mother of all the living, right? Which is technically also who Mary is, to a certain extent, right? Obviously, don't want to go too far, but the mother of God. She, I mean, she's the Theotokos, but she is the, the mother of God, which is a blessing of hers, right? But, but Eve is the one from whom the Savior will come, and Adam knows this. And Adam gives her that name, to, um, to remind people of that, right? To remind them that God will send a savior from her. Um, and then what happens? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. All right. How would he have done this? He would have had to kill one of Yeah. <laughs> We get the first sacrifice. But, yeah. Um, terrible, but in order to hide the shame of Adam and Eve, God kills an animal, right? God sheds blood to cover his people with a garment and allow them to their their you know to um, to no longer feel to no longer feel ashamed to have good uh, good conscience to a certain extent right that's the type of shadow we have the promise he will you know he will bruise. You. He will crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We have the bloodline, right? 
her seed and your seed, Eve, the mother of all the living. Right? That's here. And now we have the type and shadow. God slaying the lamb. So David's attempt to cover his sin was to kill Bathsheba's husband. Right. Was murder. That was and, and to kill a man. I mean, that's not, not supposed to do that. If he had gone to the, to the ark, right? The ark which was in uh, Jerusalem and gone to the priests and confessed, I have sinned before God and I am in need of atonement, right? That was part of the Mosaic Covenant. There were, there were things he could have done, sacrifices he could have done, animals he could have brought and slaughtered so that their blood could cover his sins. But the problem is then so, someone else would know about him. You know, he would have had to tell. He would have had to admit to God that he had sinned, and so instead he does. He makes his own sacrifice. So he, tried. he tries to cover it up, and it doesn't work. Everyone who's read the Bible knows about that sin. It's not a good job of covering it up. But the purpose is to point forward to Jesus. Um, but there were, you know, this is this is the other big thing here, right? This is the other part of the dwelling in in the Old Testament is the sacrifices. There were. God institutes sacrifice um, right here. Blood is shed to cover the people. When Noah gets off the ark, he offers sacrifices. When Abraham is, I mean, we have the sacrifice of Isaac, which is sacrifice of the lamb, right? But we also have the covenant, which is other animals. Here, we have bulls and goats and sheep and just blood everywhere. I mean, this is a blood, the, the temple is a bloody place. It must have smelled good at some parts, right? Because, I mean, you got a lot of, a lot of barbecue going on, <laughs> right? But a lot of blood. And the other thing is, sometimes, some of the sacrifices they charred. Some of the sacrifices they were told, you, you, you burn it to a crisp. Why? To, to show how God is, you know, the sacrifice is incomplete. It can't, it can't suffice for everything, right? Because, there's char, which can't keep burning, but something has to keep burning. There needs more blood. Right? David had sacrificed this Solomon temple. Temple Solomon's temple is like the greatest slaughter, and probably one of the greatest slaughters in human history of animals. They just took tons of bulls and sheep and sacrificed them. Right? Shed their blood. Starts to pitter out here, but not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altar slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Um, one of my favorite hymns. It's it's a this blood from this lamb was not sufficient to save Adam and Eve. The blood which which Noah right the the blood which Abel sheds right Abel was a shepherd. He gives a sacrifice of a sheep to God. Why? Because he believes the promise. He understands that blood must be shed for his own sins. This is why the sacrifice of Abel is accepted. This is this is in Hebrews. This is what he covers in Hebrews only. Abel's sacrifice was a sacrifice of faith in the promise. Cain's was a self-aggrandizing one. I'm pretty good, aren't I? Yeah, I got here. Smell some of the good stuff I've done. Because I'm so cool. Because I am the Lord, right? The man from the Lord. Um, and Abel instead says, I believe that God has, God will send one 
to to re, to to cover my sins. Right? Much as I much as my father needed it, I needed it. I needed it as well. And Cain kills him for it, shedding his brother's blood. This, the the all the sacrifices. The sacrifices are probably the the biggest type and shadow in the Old Testament, um, because they are what point to the death of Christ, to the blood that He sheds upon the cross, to the to the fact that someone had to die because I have to die, because we all have to die. Right? Death is not natural. It is. It is the natural. It is the punishment for sin. It is the wages we earn when we sin. And that death was necessary. So when, after a long history of God giving His promise to send one, a born of woman, right, born a man, who would be the sacrifice for the sins of the world washing us with water, feeding us with living bread, taking us through the wilderness, with whom he would tent amongst us, who would rule over his kingdom forever, even with the nations, right? Who would die in return in three days. Jesus shows up. And they kill him. And then he comes back. And he returns. And he says, I did it. And I did it for you. And we have now this great cloud of witnesses to remind us that that is true. And we have a great, fantastic record of their faith. To comfort us and to remind us that nothing in this world can tear that away. Baptism now saves us. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. And uh, let us let us go forth with uh, a true heart and you know endure the endure the struggles and cares of this world. Thank you for listening. That was the second part of a presentation I was given the privilege of presenting on Christ in the Old Testament. I appreciate any feedback you have, any corrections or comments or uh, praise as the case may be. I'll be uh, uploading something else later this week, but uh, until that time, uh, God's peace be with you all. Amen.